Good morning. We are thankful and grateful to have you here with us this morning. For those of you who don't know, we are two babies down, one to go. Um, Catherine had her baby this morning. Ren Marie Moody was born at 1224 this morning. So um, y'all continue to pray for Catherine and Russ and as you all know, all that's about to come at them. So um, I was texting Catherine this morning, and uh, she said at some point this morning she shifted in her bed, and Russ popped up and said, where's our baby? So as you guys know, they are, they are now parents, um, because I told her that baby is going to dominate their mind for a long time, but that's a blessing. So we're thankful for them and, and how things are going. Just continue to pray for them. Um, a couple of, a couple of things to let you know. One, the food pantry needs uh, grocery bags. It's a big part of our ministry. We put a lot of things in grocery bags as we kind of pass those out. So if you have any grocery bags at home, um, just plastic grocery bags that you're willing to depart with, you can bring those to the church, to the food pantry on Tuesday, or get them to myself or Neil, and we'll make sure they get down there um, as, a, as part of our, our ministry through the food pantry. Coming up this Wednesday night, we won't have regular services, but we are Christmas caroling. Anyone who's interested in going caroling around our community, um, that is happening this Wednesday. We'll meet in the fellowship hall at 6 o'clock. It usually lasts about 45 minutes uh, to an hour. It's not, uh, it's not really, really long, um, so, but we do need people to sing. You don't have to sing well. You don't have to sing loud, but having you there would be very helpful. So if you would be interested in that, you can see myself or Pastor Neil. Uh, also, next Sunday, Christmas Eve, we will have our Christmas Eve service next Sunday evening at 6. Um, it's one of my favorite services of the year, and so we would, we would love to have you next Sunday. Of course, we'll have morning services in the next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock for our candlelight Christmas Eve service. With all of that said, I'm going to ask Brother Howard if he'd come forward, and he's going to read our call to worship. I should say ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Uh, our text this morning is a wonderful text. And thank you for letting me read it, Pastor. It's 1 John 4, 9 through 11. Before I read it, uh, Mr. Randy and Miss Donna, congratulations. 40 years together. If we could clap for that. 40-year anniversary. So, 1 John 4, take off your glasses so you can see. It says, in this was manifested, some of the translations say revealed, and this was manifested, the love of God towards us, that God sent his only begotten son to the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Anybody know what propitiation means? It says that in all the translation. I wrote it down. It means atoning sacrifice. He was the sacrifice that made atonement for our sins. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved, uh, we ought also to love one another. I have, uh, Alistair Begg is one of my favorite pastors. Uh, for about eight or ten years now, and the first time I heard him, he referred to his congregation in Cleveland, Ohio, as beloved, but he did not say beloved, he said loved ones, loved ones. Isn't that a nice way to speak to your congregation? Loved ones, he said. By the way, uh, there's a word that's used eight times in these three verses. Did you catch it? Eight times it's used in different forms. Beloved, 
Not that God loved, not that we loved him, but he loved us eight times the word love is used. So even a squirrel can find a nut every now and then. I think the subject is about love today and in this. Listen, uh, I knew my grandmama loved me. This text says that God set his affection on us. I like that. He set his affection on us. Grandmama Reddick set her affection on me because I know. She said, loves the baby boy. <laughs> loves the baby boy. And I think that's what this text is saying to us. In this, in this Christmas time, uh, when the beloved came to us and called us beloved, uh, may we worship him even more because of that affection that he set upon us. Shall we pray? Lord God, thank you for the love of God. Uh, the song that was sung at mother and dad's funeral, the love of God, uh, touches us all, especially this time of year. And um, we ought to love one another, uh, is what verse 11 says. So may we do that. But uh, more than that, may we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. If you'll stand and sing with us, we're going to begin worship with angels we have heard on high. singing the first Noel. Was to certain portion. 
having a special Bar Mr. talk. year I forgot my words and I didn't have my glasses on. <laughs> I had to start over. But this year I'm not going to take my glasses off. So. <laughs> oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by, yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary, and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. The morning stars together proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given when God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angel, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. If you will stand again with us, we're going to continue in worship, singing. My brain just had a moment. <laughs> let's worship and adore him, and then, uh, sorry, there's something about that name, and then let's worship and adore him. Kings and kingdoms shall all 
your name. What a sweet name it is, Jesus, our master, our savior, and truly our friend. We thank you that you came for us, God. I pray, God, that our hearts will just be ready to hear the message today as we continue seeing the Christ story in our gospels, Lord. I pray, God, that we'll be receptive and be prepared to go out and spread the good news to somebody this week that Christ has come and he will return again. We thank you in all things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, and children may come forward.
Amen. Thank you, Bryson. And um, as he mentioned, turn to the Gospel of Luke, who was a physician. Luke's Gospel is probably my favorite of the four, especially this morning, since I'm preaching from it. But remember, we spent a good deal of time preaching through the Gospel of Luke. And Luke's Gospel is very special because it is good news for the sinner. Good news for those who are outcasts. Good news for those who are downcast. Good news for those who are distraught. Good news for the underdog and the separated. And a lot of his stories about Jesus and a lot of his particular parables uh, reveal the grace of God especially to those who are on the outside. So let's pick up with Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 25. If you found your place there, how can we be certain of God's love? How can we have certainty of the love of God? If you believe that these are real historical events, foundational reality, then that will take you to where you need to be to also be certain of God's love because this is a love story. This is the good news of God's love for sinners. So Luke begins by saying, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, they've handed them down to us. So even from the very beginning, he's wanting us to know These are true stories. These are real events that had eyewitnesses, verbal testimony that was passed along. And many have accomplished or hope to accomplish to compile an account of these things. A real record of what has been accomplished among us. So then Luke says, I threw my hat in the ring also, and so it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated. Very detail-oriented physician who investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. The most excellent Theophilus was probably, obviously with a title like that, he's a high-ranking, important person, isn't he? A lot of debate about who he in particular is, but his name means friend of God. So he's wanting Theophilus, and also the book of Acts was written likewise uh, in the same form to the same uh, person for the same type of reasons. But look at verse 4. So that you might know the exact truth about the things you've been taught. Verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a certain priest named Zacharias. He was of the division of Abiha, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. So these are two seasoned saints, for lack of a better description. And so it came about that while he, Zacharias, was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division. According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot. His number finally came up 
Now, this is the opportunity of a lifetime for Zacharias. It's said that there are as many as 18,000 priests who could be chosen at this time for this particular role. And so if you were a priest, man, this, this thing was on your bucket list, okay? So this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and now he felt like maybe I was going to die before I ever got a chance at this. And so he was chosen by Lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. The whole, people, the whole multitude of the people, they were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. So this is a big deal. And while he's in there, the people are praying. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias, he was troubled when he saw him. And fear gripped him. This sounds like the shepherds out in the field. Some of the other aspects of the Christmas story. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. That tells us that he had been praying, right? Other people had been praying. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. So in advance, God sends his messenger and says, this is how it's going to be. An amazing miracle of grace. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. While in his mother's womb, and he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. So as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this for certain? Remember, that's where Luke started. I want you to know these things are certain. And then Zacharias says, how can I know for certain? Are, are you sure? Are you, are you certain? He says, I'm an old man. And my wife, it's a smart, tactful man right here. He says, I'm old, but she's advanced in years, right? I like that. I like what he did there. I don't know if I would have been that wise. So the angel said to him, after Zacharias expresses his doubt, the angel said, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. It's almost as if you, you're looking at an angel and you're still doubting? I'm Gabriel. What are you thinking? So behold, verse 20, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. Yikes. <laughs> Zacharias, you don't have faith? Then hush until this event happens, right? So the people were waiting for Zacharias, and they're thinking, what in the world's taking so long? What's going on in there? What's he doing? So they're wondering about the, look at 21, the delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. So he had to speak like, you know, with his hands and learn real quick some sort of sign language. And it came about that when the days of his priestly service were ended, that he went back home. So after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant 
everything the angel had said from God was absolutely certain and true. She kept herself in seclusion for five months saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me. This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when, look at this, what's, what's this got to do with love? So let's reverse it. You've heard, what's love got to do with it? What does this have to do with love? It has everything to do with love. She feels loved by God. Personally, she says, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the day when he looked with favor. That's God's grace and favor, right? Upon me. To take away my disgrace. To take away my disgrace. The disgrace that I felt among people. If you look at that verse, you know what the gospel is? It is the removal of our grace, of our disgrace, pardon me. It's the taking away of disgrace that comes to us naturally because we are sinners. And instead, we get the grace and the favor and the love of God to us and for us in Christ. This is how the Lord has dealt with us. Love has everything to do with this. God loves these people. He really, certainly, for sure, for real, loves these people. And if you and I can be certain that these people were real, and that these events were real, and that these miracles are real, and that He too has moved you and I from disgrace into grace and favor, then you and I can also be absolutely sure that He loves us as well. I think that's why Luke writes what he writes. So Theophilus can know the certainty of the good news of God's amazing grace. I mean, that sounds like a great place to close, doesn't it? I'll pray briefly, then say a few things more. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace. What wonderful good news we have in Christ. But for some reason, you want us to know about John the Baptist and his greatness and his service. Help us, Lord, to see in John the Baptist everything that is necessary for us to be prepared to see Jesus and to be certain of Jesus and his atoning sacrifice and his amazing love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I said a good bit in passing that I kind of didn't mean to say um, as I read it, but I tend to always do that. I, I want us to first to, to grasp the purpose of Luke's gospel. Um, and and let's, let's look at just one brief phrase, and it's in verse 4, where Luke writes to Theophilus for a reason. is so that he might know the exact truth about the things that he's been taught. So Theophilus has been taught these things. He's a follower of these things. But Luke wants Theophilus to be sure. So we might say, are, are you for real? Is this, is this real? <laughs> because if this is real, if this is true, don't mess with me here because this is really good news. If this is real, it changes everything. And the, the, the formation of this phrase goes something like this. That you may know concerning the message you were taught, the certainty. That you may know concerning the message you were taught, the certainty. And the Greek word there is the word asphaleo, which is where the English word asphalt comes from. What is asphalt? Asphalt is a hard surface. It's a paved road. It's an upgrade. So he wants to lay down for Theophilus and us the, the firmness and the certainty and the surety 
of all of these events. And so that's why he gets into a lot of the detail that the other Gospels don't about how John the Baptist came to be. And it is a miraculous love story. He has a priestly background on both sides of his family. Both his mom and his dad. That's in verse 5. So after all this legalese, where you have eyewitnesses, you have testimony, you have verbal witnesses, this is all real, it's legal, it's true, he goes into this amazing once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where just by God's providence, at just the right time, for some particular reason, Zacharias is chosen by lot, by God. So we see the providence of God unfolding. As God is continuing to preserve the seed and the promise of the gospel. Zacharias doesn't act like, well, yeah, man, I knew this was coming. I was just waiting on it. <laughs> no. He is in absolute shock, as you would be, if you saw a terrifying angelic being. And every time angelic beings show up, what's the initial human response? Whoa. Fear. That's it, Larry. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There's not a person here that if you were to really see an angelic supernatural being, you and I would have the exact same response. We couldn't help it because of the distance, the gulf, the separation between us and our humanity and God in His intensity. So God breaks through the silence of about 400 years with an amazing message from an angel. But I want to say a few things about John. Because John the Baptist is a big deal. Why is John the Baptist a big deal? Because Jesus is a bigger deal. In fact, I'm going to use a word here that we don't hear much or use much. But, but, but I'm going to say John the Baptist is the penultimate servant. Penultimate. What does that mean? I was watching college football selection show, and the commentator, Reese Davis, says, Now for the penultimate team of the four, which is number two. We know who the ultimate team is, but before we announce the ultimate team, there's the, there's the penultimate, the one that comes before the ultimate. So it builds... Um, expectation it builds anticipation it shows you that hey here's number two but coming next is number one so you're waiting you're anticipating well John the Baptist was the penultimate servant to the ultimate servant who is Jesus the Christ and Luke's whole theme is that Jesus is the suffering servant of God he is the one but before we see the one we've got to see the one who comes before the one which is number two so for lack of a better way of describing me, here's the rank number two servant in, in the biblical narrative. I, I, I think I can say that, but, but let's check it out later. Check for yourselves maybe would be the better way of putting it. But what's your point? Is that John's significance was in relationship to his service on behalf of the Christ. So what do we see in passing about John the Baptist's life? Well, a lot of that is in Luke chapter 1. Some of it's in a few other places, but, but let me just say, I want us to see John's significance, and as we see John's significance, it heightens the significance of Jesus. And if you look at John's significance, it solidifies, it puts some asphalt down for your daily faith and your daily service and your awareness of God's love, which is for real. So first, there's the holiness of God's servant. The holiness. What's this whole deal about in, when he announces to Zacharias the dad? What is, what is he talking about in verse 15? He will be great in the sight of the Lord. But then he's going to abstain from all alcohol. He's 
filled with the Holy Spirit while he's in his mother's womb. Now that's significant, that's unique. I think what he's driving home for us is the holiness of God's servant, the fact that he is set apart, he is totally consecrated by God for God's purposes. And one of the things this hints to is the fact that John the Baptist was probably a Nazareth or a Nazareth, Nazarite. What was a Nazarite? Does this story remind you of any other biblical stories that we have? Okay, Samson was a Nazarite. And you can go yourself and read in Numbers 6, 1 through 8, what a Nazaritic vow was. Now before you get all in on the Nazaritic vow, you need to know all that's in the vow. Because as a sign of absolute consecration, here's what was added to the Nazaritic vow. You do not cut your hair. So John the Baptist had long hair, as did Samson, as did probably Samuel. Two people in particular in the Old Testament that took the Nazaritic vow are Samson and Samuel. Both of them were told in advance of their lives that they were going to be dedicated to the Lord as Nazarites. Don't cut your hair. Do not drink alcohol or any form of grape. Do not go near dead people. So those were three clear marks. You don't cut your hair, no alcoholic beverages, and you don't go near dead people. It is, it is symbolic and representative of a life totally consecrated to God, and it had five features. It was voluntary. It could be done by either a man or a woman. It had a specific time frame, and it had specific requirements and restrictions, and at its conclusion, a sacrifice was offered. So that's why we think John the Baptist probably had taken or was given a Nazaritic vow. It explains a lot about his life and explains a lot about his functioning. But the whole point of John the Baptist was that he was set apart in a special way from everybody else for this particular role. He was out of the line of Samson. He was out of the line of Samuel. Here comes the penultimate servant. Look at him. Watch him. I had a roommate in college that every year during finals, he wouldn't shave. I'm like, what are you doing? You're growing this stuff out. One night in Bethlehem hasn't even been created yet, and you're growing a beard, right? He's like, I want the professors to know that I stand out in my suffering and studying because I'm studying so hard, I don't have time to shave, all right? Obviously, every believer is not called to take a Nazaritic vow. There's, there's debate as to whether or not Jesus had a portion of the Nazaritic vow. I think the evidence is against it for several reasons, but, but I've got to move on. The holiness of God's servant from the beginning is declared. There's also the helpfulness of God's servant because this is what he will do. He will turn back many of the sons. Of Israel to the Lord their God. He will turn. He will turn. He's turning back things right. John the Baptist does the most helpful thing of all in that he he sends us to Christ. He sends us to God. He tells us to repent. The most helpful thing in the world when you're lost is to know the way. And John the Baptist is clearly pointing to the way and the truth and the life who is Christ. And maybe the most helpful pointing of all is, 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 is when you're lost to know the way home. To know the way home. And Luke has some wonderful stories about some prodigals who were, who were brought back home. Luke is pointing us the way. Hey, yesterday I picked up a carpenter named Jesus. Well, I didn't pick him up, but I met him at Home Depot in Carrollton. He was going to come down to Franklin, do some carpentry work in our, in our home. And uh, I said, man, Jesus the carpenter, isn't this interesting? <laughs> he was so gracious and kind and helpful. But the reason I had to meet him at Home Depot is he didn't, 
He didn't know the way. He didn't know the way down to our house. Servants are helpful when they show us the way. And then when he left to come from Franklin back to Carrollton, I said, hey, Zeus, um, do you know the way home? He said, left and left. Yeah, I know the way home. <laughs> uh, helpful servants of God help other people find the way home. Turn, turn, turn. Let me just work through these others. The humility of God's servant, boy. John the Baptist was so humble. He was the forerunner. God buries the workman but continues the work. God buries the messenger but continues the message. John kept saying, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the one. Here is the one. I'm unfit to untouch his sandal. He's more important than me because he existed before me. He is mightier than I am. He must increase, I must decrease. My disciples are entering the transfer portal and they're leaving me for Jesus, but that's the way they're supposed to go because there's no better program than being a disciple of Jesus. His humility was so gracious and powerful. It was the very opposite of the insidious pride and selfishness that all of us carry. They're, they're, they're leaving me for, for them? How could they? Why would they? John the Baptist says, Hey, I'm just here to point people to his humility. His happiness. It gave John so much joy. He says it. My joy is full. My joy is increased because I am a servant of the ultimate servant. And this joy of mine is made full. It's made full. Why? Because he knew that Jesus was the groom in the wedding. And he was just one of the, one of the groomsmen, one of the guys. And everybody in the service should turn and point to the bride and the groom. He knew his role. But this role made him so happy. And what the Bible tells us is that, that, that happiness and joy is at the far end of service. That's so counterintuitive. But if you'll serve first... God has so designed and ordained us that we will not find happiness in sinful, selfish pleasure, but happiness is a byproduct of giving your life away. Tim Keller, whom I love, who is now with the Lord, commenting on Matthew 16, If you seek happiness more than you seek me, that is Jesus, you'll have neither. But if you seek to serve Jesus more than happiness, you'll have both. You'll have Jesus and happiness. And John the Baptist epitomized that. The fullness of joy that comes from serving the ultimate servant, Jesus. Then there's the humanity of God's servant. So if you're still with me, we've looked at several H's already. This is number five. John the Baptist was also human. He was human. And what I mean by that is later on in Luke's gospel, John the Baptist is going to have doubt. Because John the Baptist is going to be in prison. And John the Baptist is going to wonder, Jesus, all that I said about you, I don't, I don't, I don't see it happening. And so John the Baptist sends some of his followers to Jesus, and they ask Jesus a question. Are you the expected one, or do we look for somebody else? And what a human question. I guess doubt kind of ran in the family, didn't it? Doubt runs in our family. Because we too are human. And when we're in prison, and when sin tends to blind us and deafen us, we need to send a messenger to Jesus to remind us of the exact truth that you are the one. And so Jesus reported back to John the Baptist, 
Look at this and hear this. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, lepers are cleansed, and the dead are raised, and blessed is he who doesn't stumble over me. John the Baptist doubted because he was human. And he was in prison. All of that's later in Luke chapter 7. I just wanted to remind you, there's a difference in Jesus and John the Baptist in their, in their nature. Okay? Jesus was from a Holy Spirit conception. It just says about John that in the womb, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And, and there, there's a huge difference. But I'm, I'm going down another road. Number six, the hatred of God's servant. John the Baptist was absolutely hated. And all of the servants of Christ, Jesus said, they've hated me and they're going to hate you because I called you out of the world. And the world loves darkness, but you're light. The world's going to hate you. How did the world hate John the Baptist? They cut off his head. For speaking the truth. John the Baptist was hated. The penultimate servant was hated because it was a reflection of the world's hatred of the ultimate servant who is Christ. Never underestimate the hatred that the natural man, the world, the flesh, and the devil, even the flesh in you, is an enemy of God. We have this by nature. It's the environment in which we serve. So brace yourself, okay? Brace yourself. If you serve the ultimate servant, like John the Baptist, you too will be hated. And some of that hatred comes from, comes from our own fallenness. Last but not least, the honor of God's servant. The angel said it from the beginning. Jesus said it later on. John the Baptist is great. John the Baptist is great. The angel said it. Zacharias, hey, don't be afraid. Your son's going to be great. Now, every father would like to hear that about his or her, every parent about their sons. Your son's going to be great. Well, great at what? Great in what way? Did you notice what the angel said in verse 15? It's, it's, it's ultimate greatness in its purest form. He will be great in the sight of who? The Lord. That's praise from the praise worthy. Jesus later told the disciples of John and other people who were listening that of all the people born of women, every person who's ever walked the globe, Jesus said there is none greater than John the Baptist. But then he added this little twist that sounds kind of interesting. Then he said... But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wait a second. Man, John the Baptist was great because he was pointing the least to the greatest of all kingdoms where we all become loved and honored uh, what do we like? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the master. He's telling us about a, a whole new dimension. Dimension of the love of the king for you and me. So what Elizabeth ends up saying at the end of this whole drama is that the servant came to point us from the movement we make from shame and disgrace to honor and love. There's a lot of specific details here. So as you sit there in life like, does he love me? Does he love me not? Does he love me? Does he love me not? Does he love me? Does he love me not? Imagine pulling the pedals off, wondering. We've all wondered, right? On the human level and the divine level. But I had a... Um, algebra teacher in high school who said this ain't no guessing game 
He didn't teach English, he taught algebra. <laughs> he said, this ain't no guessing game. If you add these seven truths about John the Baptist together and everything that happened in his story, you're no, you're no longer guessing if God loved these people. You know for sure that God loved these people. Because he intervened in miraculous, supernatural, gracious, powerful, and sacrificial ways. And he's pointing us through this intervention to the ultimate intervention of Jesus Christ the Lord giving himself up for our sins. To move you and I from the disgrace of sin that we inherit from our natural fathers to the favor and the grace. This is how the Lord has dealt with me. He's taken away our disgrace. And he's given us his favor. That's good news. Father, thank you this morning for your love. Thank you for your servant, John the Baptist, who pointed to the servant, Jesus Christ. And you've told us that let the greatest among you be servant of all. Teach us to receive grace and give grace. Modeled after and by and for Jesus Christ himself. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing about this story. The greatest story of all. The story of Jesus. <clears throat> Tell me the story Jesus, cried on my heart every word. Tell me the story, most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell how the angels they chorus sang as they welcomed his
story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Amen. That reminds us, Jesus became a disgrace on the cross in order for us to become removed from that and favored by God. That's the gospel. Thank you so much, Stephanie and Joyce, for leading in uh, Catherine's absence. As Bryson said earlier, her baby's doing great, healthy, so uh, let's continue to pray for them. Hey, I've got one request before Bryson comes. He's got something he wants to share with us. I got a call this morning uh, concerning the Brooks Hardy family up in Bremen. I don't know if anybody here knows that name or is connected to that, but uh, the family has suffered a tragic loss. And the person called me and told me, you tell all the parents and grandparents to hug their children and love their children because we do not know what the next day may bring. So let's pray for the Hardy family uh, in Bremen. Uh, more details probably come out that later. You probably won't hear them from me, but, but just be praying. So Bryson, why don't you come and share what you have there? I'll be very quick. Um, so for the past couple of years, you may know this, that at some point um, in around January of 2022, some changes happened in our staffing. And one of those was the creation of a position called Family Ministry Intern. Um, you guys may not even know that that exists, but it does. And uh, for the past two years, Sarah Beth Bledsoe has graciously and really well done filled that role um, she's done a lot of stuff you haven't seen to make children's programs and student programs and even college programs happen well come December she is transitioning out of that role because she has to go teach um, for student teaching um, but one thing that Neil said that makes me think of Sarah Beth is serve first and then you'll find joy later I don't know if she was really as joyful to begin with as she is now, but I feel like she found some joy um, in the serving. So she, she took a chance and she served, and then she, uh, I think after that, the Lord kind of showed her how amazing it is to serve him in this type of way. And so I just want to take a minute to thank her for her ministry to our church for the past two years. And we have a card, we have a card for you, so you got to come up here and get it. But if you, get a, if you get a chance to embarrass her later, um, you can thank her for everything that she's done because there's a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of stuff that goes into children's ministry and student ministry that I can't do on my own. And so um, she was always, you're welcome. She was always um, a necessary part of that. Uh, just to let you know, we do have somebody already in line uh, to take that over. So um, Emily Grissett in January will take that role and... Uh, she will continue to, to help in those areas, but make sure you thank Sarah Beth for, for her service um, on your way out if you get that chance. So you, have, you look like you're on a mission. Do you have something else to say? No, you're getting somebody else. Okay. All right, so I'll pray and to close, and then uh, we'll, we'll be done for this, this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time that we get to spend together. We thank you for um, you allowing us to serve you. And uh, Lord, just what a privilege it is. And I pray that we would leave here this morning and, and go out and point people to you, Lord, as the ultimate hope and peace and love um, that the Father has shown us. And you're going to pray. Amen. If I could see choir members for five minutes up here on the stage. Y'all have a blessed day.